Okay, I have a question for you. How many of you would love to feel successful? Probably most of all of you. <laughs> I can tell you what. I do. I want to feel some measure of success. Uh, and so the last few years, because of that desire, the last few years for me have been pretty difficult, um, pretty challenging, and yet uh, very transformative uh, in, terms, in terms of me um, reprioritizing or get a new, getting a new sense of what really matters. Uh, some of you who are listening know that uh, I got voted out of my last church. Um, I don't remember if I've shared that on the podcast or not, but uh, but that's what happened. I got voted out of my last church, and uh, and that was really painful. And uh, but what's really interesting is that the vote actually was not that painful. It was the year leading up to it, uh, because things had gotten just very very toxic in that last year. And so by the time the vote happened, I was actually kind of relieved. Um, uh, but it was painful, and I didn't know what to do with that. Um, I went to work for uh, Flourish San Diego for two years, which was a wonderful experience, and I'm so grateful for that. It was a, a really great place for me to heal and to do ministry in a new way and to expand my uh, my circle of relationships with uh, pastors and ministry leaders and churches outside the presbytery. I'm a part of the Presbytery of San Diego. Um, and uh, and so that was a great experience. Now, last night, uh, I got to preach at our presbytery meeting. Uh, we meet four times a year, and a different person brings the sermon each time. And so I preached a sermon based on the prodigal son story, which has been a really important story for me over the last year, especially kind of with the perspective that Henry Nouwen brings in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. That book has been a very healing and restoring uh, book for me and the message of that and the reminder that the most important thing is that that I am simply loved by my Heavenly Father, right? Regardless of what I accomplish, regardless of what I fail at, right? the only thing that matters in the end is God's love for me. And so uh, I just want to share with you the message that I shared in that Presbytery meeting last night. Um I'm recording it here a second time. We didn't record it in the Presbytery meeting. And so so this is just me kind of sharing this message with all of you. Um, and I'll kind of mention a few things at one point that kind of relate more to Presbytery stuff, because that's what I shared um, with all the my fellow elders and pastors. Um, so just kind of be aware of that. Uh, but I hope that this message will be a blessing for you. Anyway, thanks for being here. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 38 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Okay, I want to start by reading to you from Luke 15, uh, verses 11 through 21. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Okay, so very familiar story, right? And a beloved story. In fact, I think the very first talk I gave as a young life leader uh, was back when I was in college was on the story of the prodigal son. And so really, this is just sort of a rehash of that talk. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, right, beloved story. And of course, as I mentioned in the intro, there's that a beloved book by Henry Nowen called The Return of the Prodigal Son, and I would highly recommend it to you. This is one of those books, I've read it uh, a few times. The first time was when I was in seminary, and it was assigned reading for one of my classes, and I remember reading it and thought to myself, oh, nice book about spirituality. Um, but it didn't really mean anything to me. Then I read it again a few years ago, after I had been through a lot of really hard things in my last congregation, and this time I was like, Oh, man, I get it now. I get it. And it became such a life-giving message for me, the message of this book. Uh, it's Henry Nowen's reflections not only on the story of the prodigal son, but also on uh, the painting by Rembrandt, uh, also titled uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son. And so really just a wonderful book. In that book, uh, Nowen observes that the first part of the story, the story, the part that we just read, takes place in two locations. And the first location is home, right? Home. Home is that place that the younger son leaves. Now, this is a parable. And so what that means is that the story is infused with spiritual and um, theological meaning, right? And so home isn't just the place where he lived. Home is the place where he belonged. Home is the place where he was accepted. Home was the place where he was loved by his father. Henry Nouwen puts it this way. He says that home is, quote, the spiritual reality that I belong to God with every part of my being that God holds me safe in an eternal embrace, that I am indeed carved in the palms of God's hands and hidden in their shadows. Right? That's what home is. Home is where I belong and am loved by God. A little bit later in the book, Nowen says, home is the center of my being where I can hear the voice that says, you are my beloved, on you my favor rests. Right? That's home. And that's what the son leaves. Question is why? Right? The place that he goes is the distant country. 
right? That's where the younger son goes. He gets everything together, uh, all of his all the uh, all of his inheritance. Uh, he gathers it all together, goes to a distant country, and there squanders his wealth in wild living. Why would he do that? Well, Jesus isn't explicit about it, but presumably it's because. You know, uh, he thought he could find something in that distant country that he couldn't find at home. Maybe some kind of significance. Maybe he didn't like being the little brother and he wanted to shed that identity and go (laughs) find some, you know, significance and uh, some new identity somewhere else. Maybe he thought he could find acceptance in that distant country in a way that he couldn't find at home. Maybe he thought he could find love in that distant country in a way that he thought he couldn't find it at home. Right, what he did was he listened to the voice of the distant country. And you know what that voice says? That voice says, show us what you got. Let's see. Show us what you got. And if we like it, then we will love you. We will accept you. We will embrace you. If you don't, then we will not love you. (laughs) We will not accept you. We will not embrace you. So the younger son goes to the distant country and spends all of his money. Well, basically, he's doing what? He's showing him what he's got. Um, Jesus doesn't say there are lots of people that he's living his wild life with, but a wild life probably means that there are lots of people that he's partying with, right? So there are lots of people. They're enjoying being with him, right? They're enjoying him. They're, They're affirming him. They're accepting him. They are to some degree, loving him or in some way expressing something that feels like love for him, right? And he likes it. But then he runs out of money, right? And he starts to starve to death and everyone abandons him. How do we know that he was abandoned by everyone, right? Because when he was feeding pigs and was starving to death, no one gave him anything. Right? They said, oh, you got nothing to show for yourself anymore. You've got nothing of value for us anymore. And so we will abandon you. Right? The voice of the distant country says, show us what you've got. Prove yourself. Earn our love and acceptance. Now, we listen to those voices as well. And I think we could talk about um, kind of corporately as organizations, ministry organizations, churches, we, we listen to the voice of the distant country. And then personally, individually, we listen to the voice of the distant country as well. Let me talk about kind of corporately. I think um, a lo- we could sum up the way we hear the voice of the distant country with two words, self-preservation and self-propagation. Here's what I mean by that. Self-preservation, like now I'm a Presbyterian, right? And our denomination has been declining for 20, 30, 40, maybe we're we're creeping up on 50 years. I haven't looked at the statistics lately, but a really long time. Almost all of our churches have less people in them on an average Sunday morning than they did last year. That's just... The world we're living in right now, that's our reality. And there are lots of churches like that. And even big churches, like even some mega churches are declining. Um, and so so a lot of times, and certainly in my case, in, in our case as Presbyterians, we fall into self-preservation mode. 
right? Because what we hear from the voice of the distant country is, well, your church is declining, so you must not be a very good church. Your church, your church's budget is shrinking. And so what does that say about you, first church of whatever, you know? Um, we get into self-preservation mode. What do I need to do to survive? What do we need to do to survive? How come nobody is coming to our church? How come we keep losing people? What's go- what does this say about us? And we feel like we're not as valuable or as worthy because, because we're not as big or as successful looking as maybe we looked 5, 10, 20 years ago. That's uh, that's self-preservation. On the flip side, you've got self-propagation. There certainly are churches in the world that are growing. And you know what the voice of the distant country says to those churches? Hey, well done. Way to go. You have proved yourself to be a good church. Maybe even to be a great church, right? You're the kind of church that people want to go to, and you should pat yourself on the back for that. You are successful, right? That's the voice of the distant country. And it's dangerous when churches start to find their value in that, in that kind of, oh, look how great we are kind of success, right? That's the voice of the distant country. That's, I think, how churches experience the voice of the distant country. Personally, individually, we hear the voice of the distant country too, We and we respond to it, right? Every time I try to demonstrate how successful I am, how educated I am, how spiritual I am, how theologically astute I am, right? I am, I am responding and listening to the voice of the distant country that says, prove yourself. Now, the specifics are different for everyone, right? Um, and the way that I hear the voice of the distant country is different from the way you hear the voice of the distant country. So let me just share with you the way that I hear the voice of the distant country, right? The voice of the distant country says to me, and usually it starts with uh, some kind of comparison, right? The voice says to me, hey, Marcus, look at how successful that pastor is. Wow, that pastor's got a much bigger church than you. Uh, that person uh, has a much better staff than you do. Boy, and their facilities sure are nice. Look at all that green grass and look at, look at all those clean lines and fresh paint. <laughs> how, come, how come you don't pastor a church like that? Right. Hey, Marcus, you got voted out of your church three years ago. What does that say about you? You know what that says? Loser, failure. And now, Marcus, you're in one of the smallest churches in the presbytery, way out in the Imperial Valley, what some people call the middle of nowhere. And that's what you have been relegated to. But, Marcus, actually, on the other hand, you know, that church that you're serving right now, they've got this great food pantry. And, you know, the people did most of the work before you got there, but... Uh, but they give you some credit for inspiring them to do it, and so hey, take take that credit, do it. You you can you can hold on to that as some measure of success, and and maybe you do have some value because of that. Also, Marcus, you're a committee chair for the presbytery, uh, so I'm a 
Uh, I'm the chair of the Committee on Preparation for Ministry right now in our presbytery. Marcus, way to go. That means you get to be on the executive committee of the presbytery, kind of the leadership team of the presbytery. Woohoo! Way to go. You know what that does? That shows everyone that you are kind of successful, at least. There's some success there. Right? And then I shared this with the presbytery last night. I said, and you get to preach at presbytery last night. <laughs> You got to preach at Presbyterian. You know what that does? That's going to impress everybody. Unless your sermon stinks, and then everyone will be unimpressed. You know, we could add to that, hey, Marcus, you've got a podcast. That's pretty cool, right? It's uh, it's not a huge podcast, but it's growing. And there are people all over the world who are listening to it. You can pat yourself on the back for that. Now you can feel good about yourself because you have proved that you've got something of value to offer, right? See, that's the voice of the distant country. I don't know exactly what it sounds like for you, but that's that's kind of what it sounds like for me, right? The thing that that we all have in common is that the voice of the distant country always says something like, prove yourself, demonstrate your value, show everyone you what you have achieved and accomplished. And if you can't, then you must not be particularly valuable or worthwhile. If you haven't accomplished anything, if you have failed, well, then you must be useless. And so we spend our lives trying to demonstrate that we have value. And that is a heavy burden to carry. And it is not a burden that God wants us to carry. Now, the younger son eventually comes to his senses, right? He gets clarity on his situation. Uh, he, he realizes, well, and he gets clarity on his identity, right? On who he is. He remembers that he's the son of his father, right? And, and he remembers that he wasn't meant for his current situation. He was meant for more than just wallowing in the mud with pigs. He was meant for more than starving to death. He was meant for more than than just surviving. Right? He he was meant to be with his father. He was meant to be home. And we were meant for more than just trying to prove ourselves. We were meant for more than just trying to survive. Right? The younger son got clarity. He came to his senses. And even though he didn't fully understand the kind of reception he would receive from his father, it was enough just remembering that, oh yeah, I am my father's son. It was enough to get him up out of the mud pit and start the return home. So what does returning home look like for us? Let me talk kind of corporately again and then individually. Right, Corporately, as churches, as organizations, as ministries, what does returning look like? A couple of thoughts that came to mind for me. One is that I think it, it means returning to faithfulness. And when I say that, I don't mean that we have been unfaithful in our ministries. What I mean is, is putting faithfulness in its proper place in terms of priorities. And that is the top priority, right? At least in terms of how we measure our success, right? So often we measure our success based on how many people showed up. Are we growing or declining? 
How effective was this particular outreach or program or whatever? Right? God isn't interested, though, in having a bunch of churches or ministries that are a little bit bigger next year than they were last year. What God is interested in, what matters to God, is our faithfulness. Regardless of how successful we seem to be. It's our faithfulness. So I think we're called to return to faithfulness. We're also called to return to the mission of God. Right? The mission of God. See, what I mean there is, is as opposed to the goal of self-preservation or self-propagation. Right? When self-preservation becomes the goal, when self-propagation becomes the goal, then all we're, all we're caring about is, is how, how do we get people to show up to stuff? How do we get our budget to be a little bit bigger? I remember uh, several years ago in my last church, before I got voted out of there, <laughs> and as really it was kind of during that time when things were just sort of spinning out of control, and, and I was walking around the sanctuary, and I had this moment where I thought to myself, you know, how do I get more people to show up, and how do I get them to give more money? And in the next moment, I, I thought to myself, oh, this is not what I signed up for. That is not what I want my life to be about. How do I just get people to show up and how do I just get people to give more money? That's not the mission of God, right? The mission of God is to bring healing and wholeness into the world, to restore the world, to bring shalom back into the world. I love that word shalom. Because it has to do with a comprehensive state of well-being that touches every aspect of life. And that's what God wants to bring into the world. And that's what we have been invited to participate with God in doing, restoring shalom. And guess what? You don't have to be a big, successful church in order to do that. You can be a small, seemingly unsuccessful church. And participate faithfully with God in the restoration of shalom in the world. In fact, I would say my little church that I serve right now is doing a great job with that, with their food pantry. 800 families in their town, 100 of them being fed every week. That's shalom. That's restoring shalom. And they're not a big church, but they are participating with God in his mission. Now, as... As individuals, what does it mean to return home? Um, I think as individuals, for you and for me, the invitation to return home has to do with no longer listening to the voice of the distant country, the voice that says you need to prove yourself, the voice that says you need to earn your way to acceptance and love, right? the voice that says Um, Show us what you've got. Show us what you've achieved. Show us what you've accomplished. Show us how successful you are. Returning home for us means listening again to the voice that simply says, You are my beloved, and on you my favor rests. Regardless of what you've accomplished, regardless of what you have failed at, You are my beloved. Uh, I ended my reading of the story 
at the beginning of this um, message um, in kind of a weird place, right? I ended with the son saying to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I ended there because in a lot of ways, a lot of the time, that's kind of where we end things, right? The son was trying to earn his way back, right? He was about to say, You know, let me be one of your employees. Let me earn my way back into the household. I don't have to sit at the table and eat with the family. I'll make dinner in the kitchen with the other servants and I'll I'll serve the meal. Um, He wanted to earn his way back. And that's where we end our stories so often. But that's not where the story ends. Of course, it goes into the older brother part of the story as well. I'm not going to get into that. But let me read the next paragraph. Right, The younger son says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Right? God doesn't celebrate because of what we accomplish. God doesn't celebrate because of what we achieve. God doesn't celebrate because our churches or our ministries or our organizations or our businesses are better off this year than they were last year. God doesn't celebrate because of how successful we are. What God celebrates is when we Begin to listen again to the voice of him who says, you are my beloved. And actually, let me say this. God celebrates merely because we are his children, because we are daughters and sons of God. Our worth, our value is not wrapped up in what we achieve or accomplish. It is wrapped up simply in the fact that we belong to God. We are his children. And so to whatever measure of greatness, of success, of achievement, of accomplishment that we desire, God says that doesn't matter. The only greatness that matters is the greatness of my love for you. Well, that's a a wonderful message, isn't it? I mean, the news that we are loved by God regardless of anything, anything other than the fact that we are his children, that we don't have to prove ourselves, that we don't have to earn any kind of acceptance, and that, you know, the distant country, anytime we we try to find acceptance and love and significance anywhere other than with our Heavenly Father, that's the distant country. And we are invited to come home, just come home and find your worth and significance and acceptance and love here at home with your Father. That's a wonderful message. That's the gospel, I, I think. Right? That's, that's the gospel that Jesus brought. But it's a hard message, too, because we, you don't hear that message anywhere else. Right? You don't hear that message anywhere else in the world. The rest of the world says, no, you do have to prove yourself. And so it's ingrained in us. It is ingrained in us. Um, I think part of 
part of following Jesus, part of growing in our faith, part of becoming who God created us to be is to let go more and more of the voice of that distant country and listen more and more to the voice of the Father. Well, I hope you believe that you are God's beloved, and I hope you believe that on you God's favor rests, because it does. Uh, If you would like to connect with me, I would welcome uh, you to do that. You can find me online at www.marcuswatson.com. You can shoot me an email, marcus at marcuswatson.com. You can also find me on Twitter at at marcuswatson. And all of those are Marcus with a K, Marcus with a K. Well, thanks so much again for being here. Don't forget that you are God's beloved and on you his favor rests. And I will see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership.